Blair Waldorf, Serena Vanderwoodson, Dan Humphrey, Chuck Bass, Nate Archibald, Jenny Humphrey. I think you know where I'm going with this. This episode has been a long time coming. We are finally getting to Gossip Girl. The first book in the iconic Gossip Girl series, written by Cecily von Zygazar and also titled Gossip Girl, was published in 2002. Over the next five years, 10 more books would be added to the series, and a TV adaptation would premiere on The CW, taking the books to new heights and making these characters true household names. On episode 86, we talk about the book series overall, with a special focus on the first book, in which frenemies and main characters Blair and Serena have an icy reunion back in New York after several months apart. There's sex, deception, and of course, plenty of gossip. Over the next hour, we'll chat about all of it, along with our thoughts on the elements of the series that don't hold up so well in 2020. Spoiler alert, I am not big on canceling things, but Chuck Bass probably needs to be canceled. We discuss outdated technology, parental objections to the book's racy content, the precision with which the author captures toxic friendships, and the triggering nature of the depiction of Blair's eating disorder. Listeners sensitive to conversations about eating disorders should be aware of that conversation in the last few minutes of the episode. My guest and I also spend quite a bit of time talking about the Gossip Girl TV show, I'll let her share all the details, but Alexandra actually got to visit the set. Alexandra Monir is the Iranian-American author of the hit novel The Final Six and its brand new sequel The Life Below, as well as the best-selling time travel romance Timeless and three other published young adult novels. She is also a professional recording artist and composer. Follow Alexandra on Instagram at Alexandra Monir and on Twitter at TimelessAlex. I had the privilege of meeting Alexandra in person shortly after we recorded this episode when I moderated a Q&A at the launch event for her latest book, and I assure you that she is just as wonderful in real life as she sounds through your speakers or headphones. I am so grateful to have had her on the show and now to call her a friend. I am grateful to call so many of you in the listening community my friends as well. We are building quite the family in SSR, and it is so much more than I ever could have dreamed. Thank you for all that you do. If you're not following along on social media yet, I would invite you to do so. We are at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. If you want to rock your love for this SSR family more openly, you can check out podcast merch at www.ssrpodcast.com shop, where there are stickers, bookmarks, tote bags, and t-shirts for sale. If I do say so myself, they are all super cute, and they help support the show too. Other ways you can support the show, a five-star rating or review on iTunes. I am creeping closer and closer to 200 ratings as I record this, and I would absolutely love to hit that milestone soon. Leaving a rating and review only takes a few seconds, and it really makes a difference in helping to make the podcast more visible so new listeners can find it when they're browsing pods to check out. Another way to support SSR? By joining the Patreon community. Patreon sponsors contribute a few dollars each month to the show in exchange for exclusive rewards like newsletters, merch, and bonus episodes. You can support at several different tiers, starting with just $1 per month. Learn more at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. To the Patreon sponsors who are listening right now, thank you so much for all you do for SSR. Before we get into the Gossip Girl gossip, let me just remind you about the awesome things happening over at Libra.fm. It's my go-to platform for listening to audiobooks. Libra.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libra.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. 
but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Use code SSRPOD to get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. I am always in the market for good audiobook recommendations, so let me know what you're loving. Okay, listeners, time to take a trip into the dark and glamorous world of New York's Upper East Side. XOXO, let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Alexandra. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a big day and a lot of our listeners are going to be super pumped because we are talking at long last about Gossip Girl. I've been wanting to cover this series for so long. We actually had it on the schedule for last year and then it got bumped and then it just like never ended up coming to fruition and I'm so happy that you decided to choose it so that we could actually get this episode out there. And let's get started. Tell me like your history with Gossip Girl. Do you remember reading it as a kid? Why you wanted to pick this one to talk about on the podcast? I want to know everything. Yes. Well, I was so excited that this was an option. Like how fun to get to discuss Gossip Girl. So I actually came to the book series as first a viewer of the TV show. I actually hadn't really heard of the books um, until I saw the TV series. And like many other people, I just got completely swept up in the series and this whole other world. And at the time that the show came out, I was probably only like a year or two younger or a year or two older than the characters. So I still felt very close to that high school world of, you know, just all those emotions and everything. But it was just on such a bigger scale in this epic Upper East Side world was just so intoxicating to watch. So I couldn't get enough of the series, so I started reading the books. And um, so I will be honest when we get into this conversation that I might, I did reread the first book, but there are times where I might start thinking about the TV series when I make comments, um, just because it's so ingrained in my memory. But yeah, I love the show and went back and read the earlier books. I don't think I read the entire series, but I read like the first few at least. And I just remember thinking that the author had such a sharp wit about her. Like she was obviously very much in on the joke. So um, that was definitely an extra layer that I feel like the books had. And then super fun fact is that I actually became very good friends with Kelly Rutherford, who played Lily Vanderwoodson on the series. So cool. No way. Yeah. So we became friends through my first book, which I just found out that you worked on, Timeless. So she, through a mutual friend, she got a copy of Timeless and loved it so much that she called me. And of course, I totally freaked out because by that point, I'd been, you know, a diehard Gossip Girl TV series fan for like four years. So you can imagine when Serena, when Serena's mom calls me, I'm like, oh my God. And I always loved Lillian Rufus's whole storyline and everything. So I was just so excited to hear from Kelly and she was just the nicest. She is the nicest. Um, and she ended up inviting me to the set where I got to meet the actors who played 
Nate and Serena. That's so cool. It was amazing. I have some pretty incredible pictures and she's still a really good friend to this day. Like she was at my engagement party. So I have like such a deep connection with Gossip Girl that when I saw that that was an option for us to talk about it, I was like, yes, please. Listeners, I had no idea about this backstory (laughs) and that makes it like that much cooler that you're the one talking about Gossip Girl. I cannot believe you got to visit the set. I had a photo or I guess like probably a teen people cut out of the actor who played Nate on like the back of my bedroom wall when I was in high school. I thought he was the dreamiest. Um, So that's that's pretty cool. Was he super dreamy in person also? Yes. He looked, yeah, exactly as hunky in person for sure. Yeah. And Um, And I remember thinking that um, Blake Lively was so sweet and she just, yeah, was just uh, like everyone was so nice, you know, Um, but she in particular, I feel like Blake was particularly sweet. Kelly told her about my books and she was like, congratulations. And like, she was so much nicer than I feel like she had to be. So she um, stuck out to me. And also the actor who played Rufus was really nice too. I didn't get to meet Blair or Dan, which was a bummer because Blair is my favorite of the characters, but it was just so cool to get to go there and see how the magic was made. I bet. Well, Blake Lively is one of the celebs that I would probably most want to be friends with. So it makes me really happy that she was as nice in person as I imagined she would be. Very, like, super nice. My history with Gossip Girl is like, okay, I came to it when I was way too young, as I'm sure most people did. So (laughs) the books came out in 2002, or the first one did. There are 11 books total. The first one released, the first one released in April of 2002. And then the final book, which was book number 11 and sort of like the core series released in May of 2007. And I'm sure putting your author hat on, just thinking about like the fact that there were 11 books in the span of five years is pretty crazy. Three of them were ghostwritten, but yeah, the last three were ghostwritten, but she wrote the first eight, which is still pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah. And so I would have been 11 when the first book (laughs) released. I know. I don't think I read it when I was 11, but it probably wasn't that much later than when I was 11. I definitely was still in middle school, um, maybe like 13 at the oldest. And I was a young 13. Listeners will know this because I've talked about some of the books that I've come back to as an adult where I've been like a little bit shocked that I was able to absorb some of the content when I was as young as as I was when I read the books. But I was a young 13. I hadn't dated. Um, I wasn't like even that social. I was really very to myself as a middle schooler. I had moved Mm -hmm. when I was in sixth and seventh grade. And so like I didn't have a lot of friends in my new new school. And I like really was naive to all things like drugs and drinking, um, super suburban upbringing. So not only was I 13, but like any sort of notion of being even sort of a quote-unquote normal teen, let alone like a wild teen, was completely off my radar. So this book, I cannot imagine how I absorbed it. I must have just been able to keep reading it because I was caught up in like the glamour of it. Because I I mean, the second chapter of this book is called, and I'm sure it shocked me as a kid, the the chapter is called An Hour of Sex Burns 360 (laughs) Calories. That was the second chapter. And I'm sure I was scandalized, but I guess I kept reading because I thought that it was like fabulous I don't know honestly like okay when I was looking at it again like coming to it now as like a grown woman I'm like oh my god I'm slightly scandalized I'm like that's kind of the content is like really I think kind of extreme 
So to hear that you were reading it at like 13, I'm like, oh, I just want to protect you. <laughs> I know. Well, and I think a lot of a lot of people were, and I found some interesting essays and op-eds from the time that I hope we'll get a chance to talk about because it does yeah. seem like people were coming at this from two very opposite ends of the spectrum. But I did read a few of the books. I don't think I read all 11, but probably the first like three or four in the series. And then like you, I got really into the TV series. I was the perfect age. So the TV series premiered in 2007, so I would have been 17, which, you know, the, I guess sort of in the yeah. intervening years, I like caught up with the characters in age because there were all of those books that came out in a short period of time and then the TV series launched right after. I was a massive fan of the OC, so I was super excited to see that it was the same producers that were working on Gossip Girl, and then I, of course, had read the books when I was younger, so I was very excited about that, and I guess I probably would have been still living at home the first season, and then I left for college before the second season started, so I think I watched the first season pretty religiously, like, live every week, and then um, Gossip Girl was sort of the first series that I remember streaming, and I found a lot of stuff about that when I was researching like it really was before House of Cards like the first show that people were really into streaming the Nielsen ratings of the show live were kind of so-so but every single week the show would be number one on iTunes downloads so that's kind of a cool fact yeah yeah I remember and I do I also remember Kristen Bell who was the voice of Gossip Girl I remember her saying like the ratings were always so middling and she was like but the number of people who come up to me and say like XOXO Gossip Girl she was like it's so like you would think this was the most popular show on the planet and so I think you're right I think it was it definitely was the show that people were watching on like their tablets or yeah downloading I mean I remember too like I in those later seasons I remember like downloading it off of iTunes also like not I don't even think I was like bothering with DVR (laughs) yeah well and I wonder if there's something to to sort of like the age at which I don't know my generation your generation maybe would have been when these books published and then the show followed up like it sort of hit that perfect sweet spot where like if you were a tween or like a young teen when the books came out in the super early aughts by the time the show was ready to stream you were then like also perfectly primed to like want to download things because that became a cool thing so I wonder if there's something to that the other thing that I found that was sort of interesting about why the show became so popular in spite of its like meh ratings was during the writer's strike the show was on the CW and the CW didn't have like game shows or reality TV in the same way that some of the other networks did. And during the writer's strike, those were the shows that the other networks were airing because they didn't need writers to produce them. But Gossip Girl was kind of the main thing that the CW had at the time. So they just ran episodes of Gossip Girl over and over and over again. And I believe that was 2008. And so that also helped bring more people into it because it was like the only thing on. That's so interesting. I, yeah, I totally didn't realize that. I do think also like it was really marketed really well from what I remember of those years. Like I remember the billboards and just, they did a really good job marketing the cast and kind of creating this sort of aspirational brand and image around it, which I mean, aspirational, I say with like asterisks. Yeah. You know, these people were all very messed up in the show. But um, but yeah, I think it was something that was it was such a buzzy kind of show that like whether you were watching it or not, you had heard about it. And so all of that just kind of helped make it like a pop culture moment, I think. 
Yeah, even if you hadn't read the books or watched the show, you were probably wearing a headband at some point, and that yes. was from Blair Waldorf, whether you knew it or not. <laughs> I know, and I love headbands, so I always kind of thank I thank her and Kate Middleton for bringing them back in style. Yes, great icon. So <laughs> listeners, as you can tell, we are not shying away from TV talk on this episode. Sometimes we do. Sometimes I'm very clear about, like, let's try to stay away from the adaptation in this book talk, but... I think that Gossip Girl has gotten so tied up in this larger universe. Alexandra, you kind of mentioned it, how it, it became this yeah. aspirational thing where, like, I think that the books and the, and the TV show just sort of got muddled into one thing. I certainly have seen the TV series much more than I've read the books. I think at this point I've I've seen the first season of it, like, three or four times because I've gone back to the first season a bunch of times. I don't think I've made it to the end more than once. Um, yeah. But this was the first time that I'd come back to the book in many years. So yeah. I can't help but think of the TV series. And I think that especially now there's all this talk about a reboot. So the TV oh, yeah. series is always out it? there. How do I don't know. How do you feel about it? I have such mixed feelings. I don't think they should do it. I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, I feel like it. it it's going to be hard for it to measure up to what the first one was, I think. I mean, the show wasn't perfect. Like certainly by the end, I feel like, you know, it wasn't the same as necessarily the same magic as the first few seasons, but I don't know. It was such, it it, it was so its own. And I, I just, I can't imagine like another set of characters, like living up to like the Blair and sort of like, they were just so iconic that I don't know, but that might just be me. I'm not like the biggest fan of reboots in general. So that, that just might be my own take on it. What about you? I tend to agree with you. I think some reboots have been really successful and others haven't. I think that the show is really of its time. And in some ways, I think that's a great segue into talking about where we find these characters in the book in the early aughts. Let's talk about like social media. I mean, social media would have to play a role in a reboot of this show. And as I was reading this first book in the series, which again was published in 2002, I couldn't stop thinking about like how this book is is based in this time where like gossipgirl.net was the hottest thing. And there was a real gossipgirl.net, which I which I thought was kind of cool. Like that was their big marketing play was to have gossipgirl.net launch like a couple of months after the first book came out. But I kept thinking about how like it's sort of hard to read this book in 2020 and like sort of pretend that there could be a world in which teenagers like this would be existing without all of these other forms of communication and social media. And I think that would obviously have to be addressed in a reboot. But I thought that was like kind of an interesting part of reading the book. And it also made me a little bit sad because I just feel like if it made the book seem so dated. What did yeah, you think I about that? I, I had the same exact feeling. Like that opening blog post, it just comes off very like antiquated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think, yeah, these, it definitely dated is, is really the, the perfect way to, to frame it. Like you just sort of, you're like, oh, isn't that cute? Like <laughs> remember the days where it was just blogs were like the thing. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's one of those books that you can't like pick up in any time and immediately get sucked back in without thinking about like, oh, this was clearly written a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And I think even in the time between when the book started and the TV show launched, I remember feeling like Gossip Girl as, as a blog or as a website seemed so much more mobile in the TV show than it had seemed in the book, because that was sort of when we all were getting flip phones that had internet access. And I remember yeah. sort of over the course of the show, 
the characters got like nicer and nicer phones and you would see them pulling up different aspects of the Gossip Girl blog on their phones, but it wasn't necessarily like that at the beginning. And I think it was Verizon or like one of the big phone carriers really seemed to have like a tie to them because they were always advertising a different phone. Like you would see close-ups of like, I don't know, the, the chocolate or like, I forget what the other big ones were called, but the characters would sort of have these moments where like there was this close up of the phone and and then like at the next segment or the next commercial break, you would have a commercial for the exact same phone. So I feel like the TV show kind of caught up to that to a certain extent, but I wonder if kids of 2020 could even read this book now and, and sort of like get it because as a teen myself, you know, if, if I were a teen in 2020, I think I would read it and be like, but wouldn't they be talking about this on Instagram? Yes, exactly. And I think the new show, the HBO Max one, I think it's going to be like Gossip Girl is going to be like an Instagram influencer, basically. Like, I mean, that's how it's going to have to be done, right? Yeah. And then like what happens when there's like a new social media thing or yeah, I think that's, that's the tricky, that's just the the pitfall with anything that's so tech driven is just that inevitably it, it changes. I mean, I think Instagram will probably be here for a while and will remain popular for a while, but you just never know like what new thing is going to come up that in 10 years, people are like, Oh, how funny they thought gossip girl would be on Instagram. Whereas like, whereas we look at the gossip girl.net and it's like, Oh, that's so, you know, how cute. cute. <laughs> yeah. So past tense. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I know. And it's, it's interesting. And you're right with the TV show. They did a, a better job of like, I remember they would get like pinged with these gossip girl alerts on their phones kind of like pretty pretty little liar style. I guess it's going to be a lot more mobile in in the new show too, but that is a good point. I think any teenagers who come to it now, it would be interesting to see like would they get through the book? Like would they be into it or would it just feel like kind of alien to them in some respect? Yeah, I do think that Gossip Girl as a figure could and will work really well as an Instagram influencer. That really seems yeah. to sort of like fit her personality and her character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely, I think it it works better than as a blog. Yeah. I mean, now, especially because we can't imagine her being this blogger, you know, she's a cool Instagram influencer, but maybe kind of a lame blog by 2020 standards. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. Other things that I think would age not so well and that I assume they'll probably change going to the reboot, the prevalence of smoking cigarettes. I picked that up throughout the book. They are constantly smoking cigarettes. They're smoking cigarettes in restaurants, in bars. They're smoking cigarettes like all over New York City. And I think, you know, as a kid, I was scandalized by the fact that teens were smoking just because I felt like they were too young. But I think by 2020 standards, like there would probably be no author or publisher that would feel comfortable glamorizing cigarette smoking to this extent, don't you think? I was really surprised by that. I didn't remember that at all from the books. And I don't really remember it from the TV show either. I mean, the other thing that's kind of surprising to me about that is I feel like by 2002, by the early aughts, I didn't everybody know that like smoking cigarettes was gross? Like, I don't even remember it being cool. Like when I was in high school or. Yeah. I feel like it was on its way out. Like I still think that you could go to restaurants and they would ask you smoking or non, which is so weird to think about now, but it is, I I guess I can see a world in which maybe like one or two of the characters smoked, like maybe Chuck Bass would smoke because he's like Mr. Danger, but Blair and Serena smoke in the book too. Like it's sort of universal in this group. Yeah, that 
definitely caught me off guard. And I think the other thing that didn't age well when I read it, and I think they will for sure have to amend that, is like just the casual references. Like there's some line in one of the early chapters where they talk about how Chuck like hid in a girl's closet while she was drunk and then like just went in her bed and she was throwing up and he didn't care and he just stayed there with her anyway while she was drunk. And, and like the other characters were laughing about it. So yeah, so just that whole scene that they in the book where it's not even a scene it's like an offhand remark where one of the characters is just like I think it was Serena was just kind of remembering how like oh yeah Chuck he does all these gross things like that time he hid in my friend's closet and then like went in her bed while she was drunk and throwing up and like nobody was horrified by that as they should have been like that was that was something that was jarring and kind of like upsetting a little bit to read was like wow like that was the attitude back then like that that wasn't something that you should be horrified by yeah I mean I know the premise or the idea with the reboot is that it's going to be all new characters yeah. but it is interesting to think about like if they were to try to come back to the same characters Chuck Bass would probably have to be written out of the whole thing because yeah. Yeah. there's nothing about him that's appropriate in our post Me Too world. I mean, even in this book, the the example you shared is a good one where they're talking about like this memory that they have of him. But even in sort of the real time world of this particular book that you and I read, there's a lot of inappropriate stuff that just would not fly. There's when he runs into Serena at the hotel bar, which like hilarious that they're drinking at a hotel bar, but he runs into Serena there after she's meeting with Blair and she's had this really awkward kind of tough conversation with Blair. Um, And Serena is just looking for a friend and Chuck like sits down and has a drink with her and then he invites her upstairs and she thinks they're just kind of gonna hang out and he like continues to push himself on her and then that's to say nothing of that last scene which is like it's almost worse in the book than the tv show where he's forcing himself on Jenny but we get this visual of Dan and Serena coming to find her in the bathroom stall and her dress is half off shivering and scared and so I'm like how is he not like how I, I think what disturbs me is that character was just sort of given carte blanche to just like be that way. And he still got to keep his friends and like, he should have been ostracized, you know? And so that is uh, an element that has not aged well. And I think about how, when the show was happening, how there were all these like Chuck and Blair shippers. And I think the show did a really good job of trying to like have him have this whole like redeeming himself arc and everything like that. But at the same time, like I look back on that now and I'm like, but he was so disgusting and horrible and, and rapey. And like, just how, how was that character okay? I don't know. Yeah. I think the vibe around Chuck, or at least the way I remember it both in the book when I read it as a teen and then even watching the show was like, oh, he's so gross. Like, we're all just going to roll our eyes at him. And like, he's so embarrassing, but like, it's kind of funny. We can't take him anywhere. Like, it was almost a joke in a way that would never be okay now. Yeah, exactly. And I think like it was that, attitude in the earlier chapters when they were like talking about him as like oh yeah our gross friend but they were all like very accepting you know in a way that was just yeah that I I think you're right like just would not fly and I think you know to the author's credit I think she was writing obviously a world that she knew and characters that she knew existed so I think she was being authentic it's just that in, in this day and age like you know yeah that kind of character would not fly Yeah. The other thing that I noted in the book itself that didn't age so well was the liberal use of the word slut. Um, It was all over the book. Yeah. Yeah. 
that were you also surprised by how much they like cussed in the book like just like between like the narrator and the characters like I feel like there was a lot more of that than I remembered too yeah and I don't know if it's because when I was a kid I was sort of like reading over the (laughs) curse words because I knew I wasn't supposed to be reading them like it felt so illicit to have this book so maybe I just like kind of skipped over them with my eyes but this book has way more curse words in it than any of the adult fiction that I read now yeah exactly it really does so yeah so in, in a lot of ways I'm kind of like especially knowing how publishing works and stuff like I'm so interested how like what the sort of process was for it like were there people at the publisher who were nervous about any of this stuff that we're talking about like the character of Chuck Bass the swearing and the cigarettes or was it just sort of was that part of the kind of I don't know was that part of the marketing maybe that it was this kind of this dangerous sort of book like I don't know what do you think well I think it would have been a really tricky book to market because I'm thinking like this book would have fit really nicely into that category that became really hot a couple of years ago that like new adult category geared toward like college students and young 20 somethings but part of what is so delicious Mm -hmm. about this book is that the characters are high schoolers and college students and people in their 20s don't necessarily want to read about high schoolers no matter how crazy their lives are so I get why they were like, okay, if we're going to take a gamble on this book, it should be marketed toward teens. But I can't imagine what those meetings must have been like, because I'm sure there were really strong feelings in all kinds of directions from people across the team that worked on this book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just knowing how every decision is made with, like, there's just weight behind a lot of decisions, both editorially and also, as you know, like, just like when you're doing sales and launching, I'm just like, I know this is obviously hugely successful, but in the beginning, I'm sure, like, it must have been, like, quite a challenge. Like, how do you put this out there, especially when you're publishing for young people? Like, there's that extra level of responsibility, too, which I think, I think we can say Gossip Girl kind of defies (laughs) expectations there. Yeah, I would say. And to your point about it being successful it was a number one New York Times bestseller and I didn't find offhand whether it became a number one New York Times bestseller closer to when it actually published or if it was really driven by the show I think that it was really popular when it was published though I don't think it was all driven by the show yeah I think you're right and also because I know there was a spin-off series called the A-list which was about similarly like super privileged beautiful people in LA and that was like a a sister kind of series to Gossip Girl so I think obviously Gossip Girl did well enough that they were commissioning like new kind of read-alike type series like that but yeah I don't I mean it for sure like the book series really took off when the TV series did but I think you're right I think it was already a big hit it just was it just became a household name I think with the TV series so I don't know if I agree with everything that I'm about to say, but I am quoting an op-ed that I found from the Chicago Tribune in 2006. Uh Um, It's written by a concerned mom, and the title of it is Gossip Girl Books Put Parenting Skills to the Test. And this sort of represents like the most extreme view of the early books in the series. So here's just a few choice lines. Looking for something for your 12-year-old daughter to read? She's gone through all the children's literature years ago, but doesn't have the necessary slow switch to allow her to read the classics that you wish she would. Whatever you do, don't go to a major chain bookseller's teen shelves. You might as well go to the sleazy adult-only store on the poorly lighted side street downtown. 
Uh, She goes on to say, it's easy to see at a glance at the covers that this series is not going to be on the short list for the Newbery Medal, but occasionally everyone likes little escape fiction, I reasoned, and better to be reading junk than not reading, right? So then she goes on to tell this story about how she bought these books for her daughter, who was a huge bookworm, didn't think much of it because, again, they had bought them in the teen section, and then she went to her, like, mom's coffee group, and they were just, like, chatting, and I guess what happened was that her daughter had given the books to one of the other mom's daughters, and this mom was talking about how upset she was that her daughter had been reading Gossip Girl because she took a look at it and she was like so scandalized by it. So the writer goes on to say, I had bought this series of books, let my daughter read them, and then let her lend them to her friends without noticing they are pure smut. This has very negatively impacted my campaign for Mother of the Year. I hold the bookseller in question at fault. The novels are smutty, materialistic, and relentlessly stupid throughout. In retrospect, it was hopelessly naive of me to expect an author or bookseller, both of whom are profit-motivated, to do my work classifying novels as appropriate for my preteen. I hope other parents will take note that just because a book is on the teen shelves at a major book retailer says nothing about its appropriateness. It yes, feels a little it was, harsh. It feels like, she is harsh. Like I, I can see where she's coming from, especially now that I'm a parent. Like I for sure would not give that book to my 12 year old. But at the same time, I think she was being very harsh and rude about it. I wouldn't call these books like pure smut or stupid or anything like that. Yeah. And also to take the Chicago Tribune with like your personal experience of like feeling silly that you gave your daughter a book that maybe doesn't line up with your personal preferences or morals feels a little extreme. I saw some other feedback kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. The former Yalsa president, Pam Spencer Holly, um, she of course is aligned with the American Library Association. Um, mm-hmm. When the books came out, she said that she was happy to see teen girls reading and that unless you read stuff that's perhaps not the most literary, you'll never understand what good works are. And she actually went on to create this whole like guide for girls that really liked Gossip Girl and sort of to keep them in the mode of reading. Like if this was a book that appealed to you, here are some other things you might like. She said, yeah. nobody complains about the adult women who read Harlequin romance. I think this is like such an interesting yeah. debate to be had because, I mean, it was Gossip Girl in the early aughts, of course, but there are always going to be books that are at the center of controversies like this. And is it better for kids to be reading, even if it's a book that maybe is like so juicy that it pushes the envelope? Or do we want kids to like see reading as boring? Like it's such an interesting discussion. It really is. I mean, yeah. And I think, I think she makes a really good point. Like, although at the same time, yeah, I think women are unfairly kind of belittled for reading Harlequin romances. So I think that is already something that I don't agree with, like how people kind of make light of that genre, but still like not to the point where people would necessarily talk about this series. Policing what people read is not going to build great readers. And I certainly, you know, when I started reading, I was reading things like The Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley. I I was too young for Sweet Valley Highs, but I read Sweet Valley Twins and Friends. Did you ever see that series? It was like the the middle school version of Sweet Valley High. Yeah, I think I dabbled in all of the Sweet Valley series, sort of at like inappropriate ages. Like I feel like maybe I found Sweet Valley Twins when I was in elementary school and like read one of those books, maybe read two of those books and then found out a few years later that there was a series where they were younger and read that one when I was like too old to read it. So I I remember, I think, all of the spinoffs. Yeah, and like those were all like totally like, you know, light, juicy, you know, nothing, nothing like substantial necessarily, but they were so fun and they made me addicted to reading. And I did eventually go on and read the classics and stuff like that. I did read everything from Jane Austen to Edith Wharton. And so I don't think that reading stuff that is considered 
you know, trashy or juicy or guilty pleasure books. I don't think that that is necessarily a bad thing. And I think it can often be good because it sort of paves the way for developing into a broad reader. Like when you're ready, you'll come to those heavier, more substantial books. Um, the only area where I kind of see that angry mom's point is just honestly in, in the stuff that we talked about earlier, like the glamorization of the, of the drinking and smoking and like the behavior of Chuck Bass being kind of written off as okay. And people still were friends with him. And like, those are things that I feel like if you have a reader, who is really young and impressionable. Yeah, that's not that's not a message I want to be putting out there as a mom to my kid. But at the same time, would I stop my 17-year-old from reading them? No. Like, so I just I feel like it's all like where you're at. I, I would like to think that I wouldn't stop my kid from reading anything unless it was like obviously really extreme. But I don't know. I mean, that's the one area where I do I do get torn about it because I feel like I hate the idea of being told like you shouldn't read that because it's bad for you but then again it's like I feel like since I became a mom I now like identify with the other argument too of like but I also don't want to be reinforcing this idea or glamorization of these things that I know are like dangerous yeah I mean nobody wants to be the one in this discussion being like keep kids from reading any book especially if you're yeah. a book lover like you and I like nobody wants to be that person and and I I don't have kids but I can imagine after you become a parent that adds a different twist to the way you're looking at these questions I think it, it part of it is just that this conversation about what's appropriate and what we're comfortable with evolves yeah. over time and I think even the things that kids are exposed to now it, it's it's different and so the barometer is different. I don't know that it changes the way that I feel about this particular book, but I do think that whether we like it or not, kids are exposed to more and more at younger ages. Yeah. So, but in some ways I find that this book, like, I don't know. I feel like there are other things that are, you know, could be considered racy that I would somehow be more comfortable with younger kids reading than this. Like I, I, to your point, like the stuff about Chuck Bass feels so insidious and like so against anything that I would want a young kid to be exposed to at this point. And even the cigarette smoking, like it might seem like a small thing compared to sort of like the hypersexualization of a lot of pop culture that we have in 2020, but it's a big deal for kids to see cigarette smoking as glamorous and I'm so glad that that's something that a lot of pop culture has moved away from now and it's kind of jarring to see that yeah and I think like the last thing you would want is like a young teen like reading these books and somehow starting to kind of because the character I'm not sure if the character of Chuck Bass evolves as much in the books as he does in the tv show but I know there were a lot of Chuck Bass shippers with the tv show because or Chuck and Blair shippers and people that like liked the character of Chuck because of the way that the TV show wrote him and had him evolve and grow as a character. And I guess I just feel like if you're handing a teenager a book with a character like that and he's like one of the main players and one of the popular kids and someone that you know you might start to like as a reader and then like what if you see someone like that in your own life like will you necessarily give them a break the way that the characters do. And and that's where I get nervous. And again, I'm sure like, I mean, teenagers are really smart. Like I'm sure if you saw an actual Chuck Bass type in your real life, hopefully I would trust most people would like turn the other way. But I guess I just, 
I don't know. I, I have like very conflicted feelings about giving a book like that to a teenager where there's a character like that, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I sort of feel like if Chuck Bass wasn't a factor, I would feel differently, yeah. but totally. this is a complicated one and he really throws me off before we, we sort of transition out of this conversation about like the big picture, quote unquote, appropriateness of gossip girl yeah. and transition into like a, at least a brief conversation about this first book in the series. Yeah. I'd love to share this paragraph from a more recent piece that I found in Vogue. It's called sorry, but the gossip girl books are better than the show. And it was written sort mm-hmm. of in anticipation of the reboot. So it's, it's really recent. It came out just a few weeks ago as we record this and I'll be sure to include a link to it in the show notes for this episode, along with links to all of the other good stuff I found. But the author says, when the books debuted, reviewers loved nothing more than clutching their pearls over the book's supposed tawdry sexploits and ostentatious displays of wealth. But the series seems downright quaint when viewed from the euphoria era. Although the books were exoriated and even banned for being too sexy, the act of sex itself was usually treated with caution. Haughty brunette protagonist Blair doesn't lose her virginity to her preppy stoner boyfriend Nate until halfway through the series, despite the fact that the average American teenage girl has had Sex by age 17. The Gossip Girl teens had sex sometimes and shopped at Bendel's often, but underneath the privilege, their heartbreaks and friend feuds were familiar even to those not blessed with a charge account. Yes. And actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like <clears throat> I feel like I've been kind of so critical in our conversation yeah. about Gossip Girl that I, what I would love to talk about are like the things that I thought it got so right were the friend dynamics and also just like just the insecurity dynamic. Like, I think the reason I connected so well with Blair is because like we have all felt that way, I think. Well, maybe not if you're Serena Vanderwoodson, but I think we've all felt that of like feeling like there's somebody else in the room who's shining more, who um, the guy we like is looking at in a different way than he looks at us. Like we've all felt that way. And I think, I think the author does such an amazing job of like putting that visceral feeling on the page and putting you in that character's shoes, emotions, and and the that kind of frenemy concept, I think these books did such a great job of conveying. It's so real, it's so relatable, and it's so true. Like, and even when you're an adult, like we all have those friends and friendships where it kind of vacillates. Like sometimes this person is everything you need, and then other times it can just be like oil and water. You know what I mean? And so I think that it was such a well done portrait of friendship. I think these books were, I think that's what to me, like more than the excess and the, you know, sexy nature of it or whatever. I think like more than all of that was the way that they depicted the friendship, particularly between Serena and Blair was so well done. I agree. I think this book does a great job of displaying sort of like the ups and downs of what you might call a toxic friendship. And especially as it relates to high schoolers. And as you said, everybody can relate to that to some extent. I mean, this is obviously an extreme case because these kids are living more adult lives. So they seem to have both the concerns and dramas of high schoolers, but also like access to the things that can make adult life feel really complicated too. So they're kind of being hit from both sides in that way. You know, I had what you might call frenemies in high school, but it was like much lower stakes than what these kids are dealing with (laughs) in these books. So 
that kind of makes it more interesting and fun to read about. But it sounds like you were Team Blair. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because I put out a poll mm-hmm. on my Instagram last week. Oh, I'm so curious. I know. And I was surprised because Team Blair won out. And maybe that's just because I'm a Team Serena girl. But oh, you are? I, I am. I me. am. I was surprised, though, because Team Blair <laughs> won out kind of by a lot. I, I should have written down what the percentage was. But it, mm-hmm. it was surprising to me. Tell me more about what you like about Blair in this book in particular. I mean, I agree. Her insecurity makes her really endearing. And then I think especially yeah. once we see her portrayed by Leighton Meester on the show and like obviously she's so beautiful and like so perfect and elegant and you're like how could you possibly be insecure and then you think back on the book and you're like oh maybe that's what makes her even more endearing is that she's this like seemingly perfect from the outside person who has all these insecurities and reservations but like in this book particularly like why do you feel like maybe you're aligning yourself more with Blair? I think honestly it's because there's something about Serena where I know she's written this way to be like this like woman of mystery and she's just like this kind of enigmatic figure and I don't know I think she was hard she was hard to be relatable I guess is the best is the best way I can put it like just this idea of the way she's described in the books and in the tv series too like the girl that every guy wants to be with every girl wants to be everything comes so effortlessly for her she can do that supermodel smile without trying like everything that you work so hard to perfect like she can just do naturally like all those things you know are just to me it's like hard to relate to that and to think of that as a real person I guess is the best way to explain sort of why I never identified with her as well as I identified with Blair. And, you know, I, I feel like I have been growing up the person that always kind of had to try hard for things. And so just this idea of this effortlessness that Serena moves through life with just to me is like so foreign. And so I very much relate to Blair. And I also like the fact that the person in the story who is insecure, who does wrestle with a lot of her own demons and stuff, she is also beautiful. And like from the outside, looks like she has everything. But then when you go inside, when you go deeper, you see someone who is just like all of us were in high school, you know, just like doubting herself and feeling that stomach sinking feeling because she's not sure she's enough. I mean, for me, it's like, you just want to give Blair a hug. And then with Serena, you know, you look at her from afar and you're like, wow, but it's not the same like character love, I guess. Yeah, I get that. I think that my position on Team Serena started when I was a kid as more aspirational, especially when the TV show came out, just because I realistically am more like a Blair in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. In high school, I was very intense Um, insecure, always felt like I was questioning myself, even though a lot of people probably thought that I had it all together, was just like stressed out all the time about college and friends and like all the things that I thought that I could control that I probably couldn't. And I was just very self-conscious. And I think I was scared in a lot of the ways that Blair is. I mean, a big focus of this book is her mission to lose her virginity to Nate and all of her attempts are foiled, but she has all these romantic ideas about how it's supposed to be, which is like so unrealistic and crazy to me now as a 29 year old but it's also kind of sweet that like she thought she was supposed to have candles and lingerie and like all of these things (laughs) um and I wasn't in that place mentally when I was in high school but I think that if I had had a boyfriend when I was her age like I probably would have had similar ideas that like I want him to like me so it has to be a certain way and if it's not he's not going to be interested in me and so I, I relate to a lot of that so I think Serena was sort of more the girl that I wanted to be when I was younger when I first read these books and then 
watch the show, but as I've come back to the book and even as I've like thought back on my experiences seeing the TV show, I don't know. I find Serena to be a lot more accountable and I feel like she's just a little bit warmer. And so I have loosened up as I've gotten older and it's like really important to me as much as I love to be an overachiever like Blair. Mm -hmm. And I think that I do have a tendency to be really intense. I think that I really tried to like warm up a little bit and I like that Serena is like really welcoming and kind to people. And even in this book, like, you know, as we meet these characters, there's sort of this unspoken tension between them. Serena has come back from boarding school and there's not really any talk about why she and Blair aren't speaking, but Serena's trying to figure it out. And at a certain point, she actually says to Nate, like, maybe I did mess up. Like, I don't, I I wish I knew. Like, I just feel like she's a little bit more honest about her screw ups and maybe that comes with just being more secure but I feel like Blair never admits that she's wrong which is something that as I've gotten older I respect more so I I don't know I think my that's a good point and you're right I mean Serena's definitely a lot warmer and it's true like I mean if I were I don't know if I were at a party and these were real people and like there was Serena in one corner and Blair in one corner and I didn't know anyone. I'm sure I would gravitate towards the person who is like looking welcoming and friendly and that would be Serena. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Like I guess if you're going to be friends with somebody, yeah, I can see how, how you would be team Serena and Blair might be a harder kind of nut to crack as far as getting to know. But I think from from the reader or viewer perspective, I think that's where, yeah, I don't know. I think you empathize with Blair a little bit more, or at least I did. Yeah. Maybe it's just about sort of like, I don't know, maybe the way people align themselves with these kinds of teams is different by the person. And I think the way that I've aligned myself has just sort of evolved over time. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, it, it so happened that the way that I aligned myself with her as a kid, which was out of aspiration, um, has sort of like tidally evolved as I've gotten older to like respect her in certain ways. So that worked out nicely. But something else that shocked me in this book specifically is the depiction of Blair's eating disorder, which is not something that I remembered from when I read this oh, yeah. as a kid. And it was, it's really graphic. So there's multiple scenes where we actually see Blair on the bathroom floor sticking a finger down her throat. There are all of these scenes where she's binging, thinking about purging, um, like escaping from public spaces to go throw up. And it really did surprise me. I mean, and that's another thing that I think I would struggle in sharing this book with a younger person. And listeners know, like not to this extent, but I've struggled with disordered eating and body image stuff on and off for over half my life. And so this was somewhat triggering for me. And this is a book that if you have had any sort of like brush with eating disorders or disordered eating, it needs a trigger warning because it's super graphic. I know. And I am so sorry about that. Like that, I mean, it's the worst. And I know it's just, it's so hard when you read stuff like that, when you've been through anything similar like that. I mean, I definitely also, when I was in middle school and high school, I would, I was kind of more on the end of like sometimes not eating for like long periods of time. And I would like constantly like measure my legs, like the width in class. And I was like obsessed with my weight. And it was so like, I look back on that now and I'm so disturbed by it, you know, but, um, it's just unfortunate. Like those are the messages that are fed to us very young. And so that's why, you know, going back to, again, my reluctance to, 
give this book to, to teens today, like if it were my child and they were in the bookstore, I know I kind of focused before on things like the character of Chuck Bass and the cigarettes, but honestly, like, yeah, I mean, the, the eating disorder stuff is just as alarming because sure, like I would hope you would read that and it would be, oh my God, I would never, ever want that to be me. You know, like you would see that Blair is struggling, that it's nothing, that there's no glamour in it. But at the same time, it could also have the opposite effect or, you know, have someone say, oh, that's how she did it. You know what I mean? And so, I don't know. It, it is, it's tricky. I mean, it feels like it's kind of like a minefield of stuff that is, as you said, triggering or alarming, um, wrapped up in this very like juicy kind of guilty pleasure read, which makes it very complicated. Yeah. So to sort of turn the tides before we start to wrap up, let's talk about a couple of other things that you loved about this first book. We talked before we started recording about how this felt like such a guilty pleasure. You just used yeah. that phrase again. What are a couple of other things outside of the friendships that we spoke about briefly before that you like really enjoyed and and I agree like as much as some of this stuff was dark and upsetting and disturbing like there's something about this book that even as an adult feels a little bit like candy like I'm like I know it's bad for me but I like it what what parts of it did you enjoy most as an adult so I happen to really like love New York City so much Mm -hmm. and I actually lived there when I was writing my first book Timeless I lived there part-time and loved it so much. I still have like the fondest memories of my midtown apartment. And so I think for me, like the world and the way that they painted that Upper East Side Manhattan world was, it was kind of like, it was kind of like our own like early aughts version of like Wonderland. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I think the author really did such a great job of bringing this world to life. And it, it was larger than life, the way that she kind of depicted it. And it had its ugly sides, it had its dark sides the whole like Upper East Side Manhattan elite thing. But it was just so, it was so fun to kind of get to live vicariously through when you were in those like the big party scenes and the hotels and the charity balls and just like all the different kind of events that this world took you into. So for me, I I would have to say like that was one of the biggest draws. Me too. And I live in New York now. I've been living in New York for eight years. I was a kid who loved New York. I had my sights set on New York. And so I think that was probably part of what fed my interest in the books. And then obviously like my obsession with the show because New York is its own character really in the show. And of like my real life in New York is absolutely nothing like the life that these teens (laughs) are living. But the glamour was really just exciting to me. And I do love the details of like the clothes and the shopping and the sights and sounds and like all of those things that I know are, you know, very removed from any life that I've ever lived. But like that is fun to read. And I like to read that in sort of like the adult counterparts to this book too. Like those are fun to read and I don't think that there's necessarily any shame in them. But um, on the whole, Alexandra, coming back to this book as an adult, how has it held up with your younger experience? Has the book held up? Has it disappointed you? What do you think? Oh, interesting question. I'll say that there were pluses and minuses to what I remembered or compared to what I remembered. I think when I first read it as, cause I, I started reading the books after the series. So I was like 21, I want to say 21, 22, right around, I was 21 when the series came out. So yeah. So then I, I started reading the books right around then. And I think I, I was not quite as aware of the author's like ironic sort of wry voice when she wrote the book. I mean, yes, obviously 
you, you don't miss it, but like there were certain elements of the author's wit as she was telling the story and this kind of in on the joke nature of the narrator that I don't think I had the full appreciation for back then. And now that I'm an author myself and obviously older and all of that, I can sort of read it and chuckle and be like, yeah, like this author totally got it. Like she knew that this was, there was like, these were ironic books. Like she wasn't necessarily trying to write this like, you know, dead serious story here. So I think that element, like the tone and the writing and the irony aspect kind of, I would say I was more impressed by that this time. And that's something that I probably didn't really pay attention to before. And then the things that did sort of make me a little bit uncomfortable were all the things that we talked about, which is just that it's just, it's hard to see certain decisions and like characters like Chuck Bass or, you know, really damaging eating disorders or just different things that are kind of portrayed in this book kind of being talked about so matter of factly as if they're okay. I think that is, is hard for me to stomach. So I don't know. It's like a mixed bag for sure. It really is a mixed bag. Like I feel like, I guess the best way to say it is if I had a teenage daughter and she was like, mom, I really want to read these books. I'd be like, okay, I get it. I get why you want to read them. I'm not going to stop you, but like, here are the things that disturb me about them, but I totally get why they're addictive. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, if you want to watch the show sometime, I'm down. I'll pop some popcorn and we'll watch it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of the best way to, to frame it. And it's, um, it really is like, it's so interesting as you get older and especially being a writer and a parent, like, I feel like I'm constantly sort of in that, not so much now because I mean, my kid is two. So we're reading like picture books, which are not that controversial, but, um, there is that constant feeling of like, okay, you want to expose them to a wide breadth of material. You don't want to be seen as like trying to sanitize the world around them. But at the same time, you're like, you don't want to necessarily be introducing things that are like, that do have these kind of undertones that just, I think don't fly in in today's world. And that goes for by the way, like there's a lot of classic literature that I would never want my son reading because it's racist. So it's just, that's, that's the sort of difficult position in being someone who loves reading and believes in like a wide range of books, but also you want to like help shape the next generation to be like, you know, better, kinder people. So I don't know. Yeah. We did an episode about the adventures of Huckleberry Finn not too long ago. And sort of like the hilarious irony is that at the end of the day, like the conversation about whether or not kids should read Huck Finn and the conversation about whether or not kids should read Gossip Girl, it it kind of like comes down to the same mixed bag conclusion. I mean, it's obviously yeah. for different reasons and I'm not trying to draw comparisons between the two books in terms of like content or author or anything like that. But like, like you said, I mean, this, this controversy exists for all kinds of books. So it's not just a Gossip Girl issue. Um, and I think it's something that parents and teachers and librarians and people like us will just talk about forever. So this yeah. was a really interesting conversation and I appreciate you diving into all of the confusion about it with me. We always finish our episodes with some book recommendations 
recommendation. So I'd love if you would share some things that you've read lately that you've loved and would suggest that our listeners check out. Ooh, okay. Well, recently I've been I've been on kind of a kick of reading the DC Icons series with um, it's Penguin Random House and it's these different YA authors that have taken on each a DC iconic character. So Marie Lou wrote Batman. Sarah J. Moss wrote Catwoman, um, and Leo Bardugo did Wonder Woman, Matt DeLapena did Superman, and they are amazing. And so, um, in particular, I'm right now finishing uh, the Catwoman novel by Sarah J. Moss, and it is beautiful. Like, if, if anyone ever thought that comic book stories could ever be of, you know, a lesser literary quality, just read this book and you'll be like, wow, some of the best writing is happening in these genre kind of mega franchise characters. So yeah, I totally, I totally recommend that series if you love great writing and action. Oh, that sounds super cool. I will include a link to that series, especially the book that you are currently reading in the show notes for this episode, along with links to your books, Alexandra. You have quite a few. Timeless, Timekeeper, Suspicion, Girl in the Picture, The Final Six, and of course, your most recent book, The Life Below, which just came out a few weeks ago as this episode is going live. And I hope that our listeners will go check out what you've written. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, and I hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>